702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Live, online. The 702 app, DSTV Channel 856, 92.7 and 106 FM. On the show today, South Africa makes its genocide case against Israel at the International Court of Justice in The Hague. We'll bring that to you live. Software giant SAP fined 4 billion rand to settle bribery allegations in South Africa. Joburg EMS on high alert amidst heavy rains. The mayor gives an update on Lillian and Goy Street. And Bafana Bafana heads off to AFCON. All of that over the next hour. 7.02. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Everybody uh, watching at the moment, Advocate Tembeka Mukatobi SC on his feet at the moment, arguing in the International Court of Justice in The Hague in the Netherlands, making South Africa's case against Israel. That's being heard at the moment. South Africa accusing Israel of committing genocide in its war with the Palestinian militant group Hamas. The Justice Minister, Ronald Lamola, is leading the South African legal team in that case. So that got underway about an hour ago or so. We're going to bring you up to speed uh, with what has happened so far this morning. It began with uh, just uh, the former Deputy Chief Justice Dikang Moseneke being sworn into the court and it began with the President, the ICJ President Judge Joan Donoghue opening proceedings and those ad hoc judges being sworn in. Have a listen. South Africa versus Israel. I take note of the solemn declarations made by Judge Adhoc Moseneke and Judge Adhoc Barak, and I declare them duly installed as Judges Adhoc in the case concerning application of the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide in the Gaza Strip, South Africa versus Israel. I shall now recall the principal steps of the procedure in the present case. On 29 December 2023, the Government of South Africa filed in the Registry of the Court an application instituting proceedings against the State of Israel, alleging violations by the latter of its obligations under the 1948 Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. I shall refer to this convention as the Genocide Convention. To found the jurisdiction of the court, South Africa invokes Article 36, Paragraph 1 of the Statute of Court and Article 9 of the Genocide Convention. South Africa states that its applications concerns acts threatened adopted, condoned, taken, and being taken by the government and military of Israel against the Palestinian people, a distinct national, racial, and ethnical group, in the wake of the attacks in Israel on 7 October 2023. South Africa contends that the acts and omissions by Israel of which it complains are genocidal in character because, I quote, they are intended to bring about the destruction of a substantial part of the Palestinian national, racial, and ethnical group. That- Vusi Maronsela, the ambassador to the Kingdom of the Netherlands, based in the mission in The Hague, who is also a lawyer by profession, then uh, spoke on behalf of South Africa. The application places Israel's genocidal acts and omissions within the broader context of Israel's 75-year apartheid, 56-year occupation, and 16-year siege imposed on the Gaza Strip, a siege which itself has been described by the director of UNRWA affairs in Gaza as a silent killer of people. As the Committee on the Elimination of Racial Discrimination warned on 
December 21st. Hate speech and dehumanizing discourse targeted at Palestinians is raising severe concerns regarding Israel and other states' parties' obligation to prevent crimes against humanity. Justice Minister Ronald Lamola is leading that South African delegation. He spoke next. Israel is still considered by international community to be under belligerent occupation by Israel. South Africa unequivocally condemned the targeting of civilians by Hamas and other Palestinian armed groups and the taking of hostages on the 7th of October 2023. And has again expressly recorded this condemnation, mostly recently in its not verbal to Israel on the 21st of of December 2023. That said, no armed attack on a state territory, no matter how serious, even an attack involving atrocity crimes, can provide any justification for or defense to breaches to the convention, whether as a matter of law or morality. That's the Justice Minister, Ronald Lamola. Now, the South African team consists of six different advocates. First up was Advocate Adila Hassim, SC, who is leading the South African case. Uh, you'll know her from her uh, social work in South Africa. She led the Life is Said in Many cases as well. Have a listen to Advocate Adila Hassim. Just three days ago, on 8 January, a planned mission by UN agencies to deliver urgent medical supplies and vital fuel to a hospital and medical supply center was was denied by Israeli authorities. This marked the fifth denial of a mission to the center since 26 December, leaving five hospitals in northern Gaza without access to life-saving medical supplies and equipment. Aid trucks that are allowed in are seized upon by the hungry. What is provided is simply not enough. (laughs) Madam President, members of the court, this is an image of an aid truck arriving in Gaza. Israel has deliberately inflicted conditions in which Palestinians in Gaza are denied adequate shelter, clothes or sanitation. Now, Advocate Tembeka Nukatoibi SC is the second lawyer on behalf of South Africa. He's arguing the issue of intent. And this is probably, as the legal experts will tell you, the most difficult part for South Africa to prove is that they have to prove intent when it comes to genocide. He's pointed to some of the comments made by the Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. Let's have a listen into what Advocate Nukatoibi is currently arguing. It's a crime under international law. And it undertook to prevent and to punish it as such. This failure to prevent, condemn and punish such speech by the government has served to normalize genocidal rhetoric and extreme danger for Palestinians within Israeli society. As M.K. Moshe Sada from the Likud party has said, the government's own attorneys share his views that Palestinians in Gaza must be destroyed. I quote, you go anywhere and they tell you to destroy them. In the kibbutz, 
they tell you to destroy them. My friends at the state attorney's office who fought with me on political issues in debate said to me, it is clear that we need to destroy all Gazans. Destroy all Gazans. Israel is aware of its destruction of Palestinian life and infrastructure. Despite this knowledge, it has maintained and indeed intensified its military activity in Gaza. As to full awareness, in the week after 7 October, NGOs and the United Nations warned of an unprecedented humanitarian crisis in Gaza. The UN stated that actors must allow humanitarian teams and goods to immediately and safely reach the hundreds of thousands of people in need. That's advocate Tembeka Nukatoibi arguing on behalf of South Africa. The South African team has got three hours and then tomorrow Israel will respond with its argument in response to South Africa. Let's get some analysis on this now with Professor Andre Thomashausen, who's the Professor Emeritus of International Law at UNISA. Prof, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. South Africa busy with its case before the ICJ. There is a 84-page document which has been published which outlines very much what uh, South Africa will be saying, uh, it's arguing that there are contraventions of the uh, of, of the genocide, uh, and that's why this case has been brought, the Genocide Convention. Uh, what do you make of South Africa's case? Yes. Good afternoon, Mandy. Good afternoon, listeners. Um, I, I've said before on many other occasions that the case is weak. Uh, the team's uh, biggest problem is that they they lack members in the team that have actually specialized in in this type of international law. Why is it weak? Um, Because not every atrocity committed by the military, not every war crime constitutes genocide. Only a very, very rare and specific set of circumstances can be taken to to, uh, fall under the genocide convention. And um, we will have to see how the court uh, will ask for more evidence, how the court will query and question, and of course, what tomorrow the senior legal counsel for uh, for Israel, uh, Advocate Shaw, who is the world's most leading uh, prolific author on international law and the leading textbooks, how he will argue uh, with the presentations submitted today by the South African team. We know that the Genocide Convention came into being in, in 1948, post the Holocaust. Uh, give us a sense of what exactly needs to be proven by South Africa when it comes to the Genocide Convention and the contravention thereof, uh, particularly the point that Timbeka and Mukatobi is currently arguing around intent. Intent is crucial, right? Intent is crucial and conduct, of course, is crucial. Uh, you can you can go to parties and say, I will kill my neighbor. You can do it 20 times. You're not, not guilty of murder. You'll have to do something in addition to that. So uh, there are two judgments, Bosnia versus Serbia in 2007 from the ICJ, which I think the, the South African legal team hasn't studied properly. And, and in there, the ICJ ruled for a pattern of conduct to be accepted as evidence of the existence of genocidal intent, it would have to be such that it could only point to the existence of such an intent. So some incidental 
manifestations of intent are not enough. The conduct has to be such that it can only infer intent. And that was confirmed, uh, confirmed in the subsequent judgment of Croatia versus Serbia in 2015. Uh, so this threshold is very high. It's very difficult. And it, it, it has to do with the origins of the Genocide Convention in 1948, where the drafters of the convention had in mind the, the only real undisputable terrible genocide that ever existed in human history, which was what, what Germany did to, to its Jewish population during the Holocaust. Uh, and Prof, we uh, will see Israel responding tomorrow. It, it seems as though their response will be self-defense. Uh, that will be the essence of, of, of that country's argument. What are your expectations around that? Well, there is um, an attack on Israel and it continues. Whilst there are hostages, probably still 130 hostages that are being used as human shields to, to protect the, the leaders of Hamas, uh, whilst that is happening, the attack continues, and whilst an attack on a sovereign country continues, that country is the, is entitled to defend itself. Uh, the, the, it is a fundamental principle of all international law that all states have equal sovereignty, and, and no other state can come and wish to cancel a country. And this is what Hamas proclaims to do, to cancel, to eliminate, to, to make Israel disappear. And whilst that is a reality, Israel is entitled to self-defense. Professor Andre Thomashausen, Professor Emeritus of International Law at UNISA, thank you very much for your analysis uh, in terms of what is happening there. I highly recommend the book East West Street by advocate Philippe Sands if you want to really understand the, the legal terms of genocide and crimes against humanity and, and the origin of the Genocide Convention. If you have been following this case closely and you want some, some more deep reading, East West Street by Philippe Sands is, is, is highly recommended. Well, let's get uh, some more reporting now on what's been happening this morning. I see Tim Kotobi has just finished his argument. Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN reporter, has been following proceedings for us. Lindsay, good afternoon to you. Take us through, uh, firstly, what Tim Kotobi has been saying and uh, Advocate John Dugard SC is now on his feet. Yes, good afternoon, Mandy. Um, as you said, um uh, advocate John Dugard's just um, started. I have not uh, put, him, put him on pause to talk to you, so I haven't quite heard what he's had to say. But really, South Africa's um, argument's moving quite swiftly. As you know, they've, they've been given a time restriction of three hours uh, today. First, um, the two points that you have been discussing with your analyst um, is the point of the genocidal acts and then, of course, the intent. Um, advocate uh, Adila Hassim kicked off South Africa's arguments um, by... Uh, painting a picture, really, of what life has been like for Palestinians in Gaza, saying that there had been 13 weeks uh, of evidence to suggest that those uh, attacks are genocidal in nature. She told the court that genocides are never declared in advance. Um, but um, as I say, there has been this pattern over the number of weeks uh, to show that these acts are indeed uh, what um, some might consider to be genocidal acts. And then she's been um, backed up by uh, Tembeka Nukatobi, uh, who has been trying to point to the very important uh, issue, which is part of proving this, the, the merits of this greater case that the Israeli government, he says, has been intent uh, on um, acts of genocide, intent on wiping out Palestinians, 
and that they have regularly, and some of these clips have been played to the court, um, pointed to where parliamentarians have expressed um, the kinds of views that one might uh, perceive to be um, genocidal uh, intent, the expressed intent to wipe out Palestinians, Mandy. Lindsay, thank you very much. Uh, Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN reporter, will continue uh, to follow that for us. Well, let's take you back to advocate John Dugard, SC, who is the third lawyer arguing on behalf of South Africa in the ICJ. For international crimes, including genocide. As the court will know, the definition of genocide in the Rome Statute repeats that of the Genocide Convention. On 17 October... South Africa referred Israel's commission of the crime of genocide to the International Criminal Court for, quote, vigorous investigation, unquote. In announcing this decision, President Ramaphosa publicly expressed his abhorrence for what is happening right now in Gaza, which is now turned into a concentration camp where genocide is taking place. To accuse a state of committing acts of genocide and to condemn it in such strong language is a major act on the part of a state. At this stage, it became clear that there was a serious dispute between South Africa and Israel which would end only with the end of Israel's genocidal acts. South Africa repeated this accusation at a meeting of BRICS on 21 November and at an emergency special session of the United Nations General Assembly on 12 December. No response from Israel was forthcoming. None was necessary. By this time, the dispute had crystallized as a matter of law. This was confirmed by Israel's official and unequivocal denial on 6 December, that it was committing genocide in Gaza. That's advocate John Dugard arguing on behalf of South Africa. He's dealing with the issue of prima facie jurisdiction. So that's the third of the six lawyers that will represent South Africa today. They have three hours. And then tomorrow, Israel will have three hours to present its response to the argument made by South Africa today. And now, it's back to Mandy Wiener on the Midday Report. This is 7.02. Let's walk the talk. 28 minutes past 12 on the Midday Report with me, Mandy Wiener. We will keep you updated on South Africa's application as we've just uh, comprehensively brought you up to date uh, with the application currently before the ICJ in The Hague. Uh, John Dugard, advocate, SC, currently on his feet. So we'll continue to, to watch that. Let us know what you think about that. Send us a WhatsApp voice note, 072-702-1702, And just to tell you what's coming up in the second half of the show today, uh, we will get an update um, on that press conference with the Joburg Mayor, Kabela Gwamanda, who has been giving an update on the rehabilitation program of Lillian Ngoy Street, uh, formerly Bree Street. You'll remember uh, last year that gas explosion in July last year. So we'll bring you the latest on that. Uh, and then also on the situation in Joburg with the heavy rain that we've been seeing uh, over the past few days. Joburg EMS on high alert, uh, severe thunderstorm warnings as well. And then Bafana Bafana leaving this morning off uh, to the African Cup of Nations. Their opening match will be against Mali. What are your 
expectations of Bafana Bafana. Such a tricky one when it comes to AFCON and how Bafana Bafana are going to perform. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, and I see that uh, Supersport has now uh, said that they are going to be broadcasting all of the matches, all of the AFCON matches. Uh, News 24 reporting that uh, it has done an about turn. Supersport. Initially, they were saying that only the SABC would be able to broadcast uh, those AFCON matches. Now, Supersport saying it will broadcast all 52 matches uh, of the AFCON, which is going to be held in Ivory Coast. That starts on Saturday. I'd love to hear your thoughts about Bafana Bafana and your expectations. Tweet me at Mandy Wiener. Send me a WhatsApp voice note. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. 12.35 on the Midday Report. As I mentioned earlier, the Joburg Mayor Cabello Gomanda is giving an update today on the rehabilitation program of Lillian Ngoy Street, formerly known as Bree Street, after that gas explosion uh, in July last year. Gloria Matsue, EWN reporter, following that for us. Gloria, good afternoon to you. Tell us what the Joburg Mayor has been saying. Good afternoon, Mandy. Actually, this is some good news for Joburg residents, especially people that use the route to to travel between the Johannesburg CBD. The mayor was actually saying that as from this morning, the work to repair the road has actually commenced. And he was explaining to us what exactly the, the contractors are doing at the site today. He was explaining exactly what they are doing and how long the whole process is going to take. Well, take us through uh, what exactly um, they are doing and how they are repairing it and and how long it will take. So they are expecting to finish the project on the 15th of December this year. Hopefully that actually happens. He was actually saying that they're going to start by removing the debris and that's what they're doing right now. That's the first process to just remove the debris and all of those things. And he was actually explaining that the, the road is actually going to get an upgrade. It's not just about fixing what happened. They're going to give the, the road a little bit of an upgrade. You were saying that they know that there's a lot of um, informal street vendors on the side of the road. So they're going to widen the road on the sides just so those people can have enough space to work on the side of the road, which is honestly great because there's a lot of people that actually have businesses around that area. And he was actually mentioning that um, with the work that's going to commence, it's completely, completely safe for the businesses that are operating around the area because the the explosion site has been cordoned off and therefore whatever work is being done, there's not going to affect the residents in any way. Mm, and Gloria, did he say why it took so long to actually commence? It has been six months that this main artery hasn't been, uh, hasn't been fixed. Did he say why it took so long? Um, the, the city's uh, Floyd Brink was actually explaining that it took quite some time because there was a lot of investigations that had to be done in the area, firstly to find out what caused the, the explosion on the site, which they did mention in August that it was methane gas. And after that, the, it was an issue of designing and trying to figure out what exactly to do moving forward and what kind of safety measures they can put in place to ensure that something like this doesn't happen again in the same area. Gloria Matsuere, EWN reporter, thank you for that. Gloria has also sent us some audio of the Joburg Mayor, Cabello Guamanda, giving that update. Let's have a listen. The project plan reflects that the project should be completed by 15th December 2024. Thereafter, the community will have the added benefits of new infrastructure, which will include... Um, Thank you very much to Gloria Matsukure for giving us that update.
702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. Just to give you an update on some other breaking news coming out this morning, the German software maker SAP has been fined. Well, they've agreed to pay 220 million US dollars. That's 4 billion rand to settle bribery investigations against it in South Africa and the US. And this is related to uh, the state capture allegations in South Africa, also uh, to deals allegedly made in Indonesia as well. Remember, there was extensive reporting about how SAP uh, apparently bribed officials to win ESCOM contracts. SAP bribed officials at state-owned enterprises in South Africa and Indonesia to obtain valuable government business, said an official in the Department of Justice in the US. The resolution, our second coordinated resolution with South African authorities in just over a year, marks an important important moment in our ongoing fight against foreign bribery and corruption. So significant there, the NPA saying that it will release a statement later on today. Uh, SAP has said that, well, everybody that was involved has parted company with us five years ago already and we've moved on. And don't forget also that there was uh, another deal uh, as well with uh, the Swiss engineering group ABB entering into a plea deal with the Department of Justice in 2022, which included a three 315 million rand fine. So that's the developing story today. SAP having to pay a fine of 220 million US dollars, 4 billion rand. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. Eugene Boerter has returned to court for the triple murder of both his parents and sister. This happening today, the triple murder shocking the Rondebolt community on the East Rand in Gauteng. Tabiso Goba, EWN reporter, was in court for us today and he joins us in studio now. Tabiso, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Tell us about this case and what happened in court today. Good afternoon, Mandy. So two very important things happened uh, in courts today. The The first one is that the media uh, was given permission to actually take pictures and actually film um, Eugene Porter, who's the accused in this case. Um, I do have to say, Mandy, that um, Eugene Porter, obviously speaking to his lawyer, did oppose that application saying that, you know, he's under immense trauma and that the media spectacle will obviously add on to that trauma and that might affect his ability to actually defend himself and that, you know, his right to a fair trial might obviously uh, be violated. However, the magistrates um, said that, you know, this is a matter of the public interest and the media was allowed um, to take pictures of Eugene Porter. Um, so this is a, his second appearance today. But um, the second most important thing that happened is um, there was family, Mandy, uh, from the Porter side um, who were in court today and they actually did speak to us briefly. Now, we do understand that, Mandy, that this fam- the family was at the border house on the on around christmas and you know they they said that we did spend christmas together and when we left um you know everything was fine and then we were shocked um so the family is from the western cape and they said you know they were shocked when they got this call that um, such a tragedy has happened now it was very difficult for the family to obviously um, speak to us, but um, they did uh, eventually appoint a spokesperson, Dr. Pretorius. She speaks in Afrikaans, but I will explain what she says. But let's, let's listen to what she says. That is for us very, very difficult. In the name of the family, we thank you for all your support and we thank you for the community, for your support and the care that you have done. That is for us very difficult to know that there are so many people that live us 
um, voor ons familie. Nie net ons nie, maar die community wat ook baie lief was vir hulle. Baie, baie dankie vir al die moeite. Thank you so much for speaking to us. So obviously they Mandy, she's just thanking the community of Roundabouts, um, you know, for their support during this time. She said that the community had a vigil for the deceased members and, you know, saying that, you know, it's not just the family that is heartbroken of their death. It's also the, you know, the community that is heartbroken because um, that Porter family played an integral part in that small, very quiet Roundabouts community in the East Rand. Tabiso, thank you very much, Tabiso Gorba, EWN reporter, giving us an update there on uh, that court appearance today. Eugene Boerter appearing in court today in the Germiston Magistrates Court. He is accused of killing his parents, Johan and Jane, and his sister, Sune. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. So all week we've been following the ANC's birthday celebrations in Mpumalanga, the birthday happening on January the 8th, but the actual January 8th celebrations taking place this weekend. The ANC president, Sir Ramaphosa, is currently addressing the ANC Women's League in Mpumalanga. And let's listen to what he is saying. The sound is courtesy of Newsroom Africa. Of assistance to young people is the NEF, the National Empowerment Fund, It has funded young people who've wanted to start their own businesses. What I can tell you is that our government is not only pro-poor, it is also pro-young people, it is also pro-women. We are irrevocably committed to empowering young people in our country because we know what problem we are dealing with. We are dealing with a huge problem of youth unemployment and we want to address that. And let me say, this is a global problem. Many countries around the world have got a youth problem, a youth unemployment problem. Now, we've come up with many initiatives. And today, I move away from here, hugely inspired, inspired by what you were articulating here, including what the president of the ANC Youth League was saying about changing some of our economics, changing some of our industrial policies, and saying, as he says so very articulately, we've got, we have a country that is well endowed with minerals. And what we have tended to do, and this is how if you study the economy of our country, which I want you to do, you will find that the economy of our country, once colonialism came, the colonialists came and grabbed the mineral resources of our country. Our forebears fought. They were defeated. President Cyril Ramaphosa in his capacity as ANC president currently addressing the ANC Women's League in Mpumalanga. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. So we just spoke to Tobiso Gobo about the court appearance of Eugene Boerter, who is uh, accused of killing his parents and his sister. Well, another court case we are watching is that of Agnes Centruancho, who's back in the Mabato Magistrate's Court for the continuation of her bail application. And she faces a charge of murder for her niece. 
two counts of fraud, one defeating the ends of justice as well. Let's uh, get up to speed with this case with Khamotso Modise, EWN reporter. Khamotso, good afternoon to you. Tell us about this case. Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, you know, this is one of those cases that really just keeps surprising and shocking you as you cover them in the courtroom. And that's because it's the case of a woman who, for now, is facing one count of murder um, for the murder of her niece, that is um, Bonolo Mudisei Mang. Um, and, uh, you know, she uh, benefited three million rand in insurance and life cover payouts uh, for Bonolo's passing. But then it's understood that she's also being investigated for the murder of her two daughters, a son, and her husband. Um, uh, 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 so appeared in the magistrate's court today. She looked very fresh, I must say, since the last time she appeared in court, and she spent the entire festive season behind bars. Uh, today, it was the continuation of her bail application, and the state is opposing bail. And we heard from the investigating officer who's been testifying. Uh, this is the same investigating officer who is behind the Rosemary Zombo case. And he's been testifying about the process that they went through uh, to secure, to ensure um, her arrest. Uh, but then today we also heard from a correctional services nurse who testified to the fact that uh, Satanto has been diagnosed with diabetes and that the correctional services facility in Matagain is in the position to keep her medication at the correct temperature. She uses insulin, and she has a refrigerator in her in her prison cell where she keeps her uh, insulin medication. And so today, the state was wrapping up its uh, uh, its case, and we're expecting to hear arguments tomorrow before judgment on bail is handed down. Khamotso, thank you very much. Khamotso Modise, EWN reporter, telling us about that case of uh, Agnes and Chuancho. And there are so many similarities with the Rosemary and Lovu case and that one, the same investigating officer there, uh, who was named as the uh, the SAPS uh, uh, member of the year last year. So you can see the similarities there and the progress that is being made. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. Joburg Emergency Services on high alert amidst uh, severe thunderstorm warnings. We've seen heavy rain in Joburg over the past few days. The Weather Service issuing a level two warning for severe thunderstorms in Gauteng. Concerns about flooding as well. Uh, yesterday, there was a drowning incident in which two women drowned. Two others were rescued when they were swept away by a flash flood during a cleansing ritual in Bramley. Let's get uh, the latest on this with Robert Mulawutsi, EMS spokesperson. Robert, good afternoon to you. Uh, are there any issues that EMS is currently dealing with? Good afternoon, Nausmendi, and afternoon to the listeners. Yes, we uh, right now we just concerned about the uh, number of incidents, as you rightly mentioned in your introduction, the, the number of incidents which are involving our residents who are conducting baptism rituals. We see now an increase in terms of the number of people who are losing their lives while they're conducting these uh, baptism cleansing rituals. So we are pleading with our residents to stay away from uh, river streams now that the uh, water levels in most of our river streams now it's higher and the current is much more stronger because of the rainfalls, which we are told that we're still going to receive uh, throughout the week. So we, we also have taken it upon ourselves to go visit uh, these areas uh, as many to... Uh, you know, a question ties our residents who are conducting the baptism to take 
you know, necessary precautions, make sure that uh, the safety measures are taken in place when they're conducting these kind of rituals because we cannot really continue to count you know, on the number of bodies which we recovering on these, uh, uh, you know, rituals. I would say that is our main concern. And, of course, our motorists, as they, when they're driving, we're pleading with them to try and avoid crossing areas which uh, uh, might be flooded. And our residents in our low-lying areas, especially our residents in our informal settlements who are residing along river streams, they normally cross river streams as and when they are conducting their daily activities. So we're pleading with them to try and avoid crossing those areas so that we can prevent incidents where they might be washed away while they're trying to cross those areas. Robert, thank you very much. Uh, Robert Mulawutsi, EMS spokesperson there, as he said, uh, beware uh, with those heavy rains and particularly amongst low, uh, around low-lying areas, uh, low-lying bridges as well along the Yixke, uh and be careful if there are any uh, rituals underway as well. Just be careful. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Hi, Mandy. Um, hope you're well. <laughs> Mandy completing the project on the 15th of December. <laughs> yeah, right. Which project has this government actually started and completed in time? Because also them completing any project on time, it means they cannot make some extra money from the government or from the coffers. There is no ways they're going to complete this project on time or even before that. It will somehow overlap and there's going to be more payments and they just that's just how they, they, they deal with this project. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. Uh, good afternoon, Mindy and your listeners. I, You know, when it comes to Afana Afana, I think the best expectation to have is just to have no expectations at all. You know, we have suffered so much uh, at the hands of Afana Afana. Our hearts have been broken so many times since 1996. So I think the only thing that we can expect is that they will rock up at the tournament. They will try their best. Whether their best is good enough, God knows. <laughs> Eugene from Social Groove. Now, Mandy, we will not win. We are just going to make an appearance and we'll come back home. I've lost hope in that Bafana Bafana people. Thank you all for your optimism. Uh, firstly, on this issue of Cabello Guamanda and what he's announced around Bree Street or Lillian and Goy Street. Uh, and the question that I asked our reporter was, why has it taken six months? This thing happened in July last year and it's taken six months for them to announce that the project is going to now start and it's going to be finished by the end of December, or 17th of December, whatever it was. Let's see if that happens. Uh, but it's really crucial that we get that that main artery uh, well used by many taxis in the uh, city of Joburg, getting that fixed. And then on Bafana Bafana, Gani Mede on Twitter says, I would not unpack if I was Bafana Bafana. They will soon be heading back to the airport. No going past the first round. We were taking predictions on what your expectations are. Bafana Bafana heading off to the Ivory Coast today to take past part in the African Cup of Nations. Well, let's get some real analysis on this now with Dalmaine Favor, who's a soccer Laduma writer. Dalmaine, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time today. So Bafana Bafana heading off today. What are the expectations of uh, the South African national team at AFCON? Good afternoon, Mandy, to you and to your listeners. I think the the realistic expectation is for them to go one better than they did at their last appearance, which is a tough ask because last time out in 2019, they went to the quarterfinals. So 
the logical next step would be the semi-finals or possibly the finals. I think looking at our squad, we do have a decent squad to compete. Looking at the group, we should at least get out of the group. I know expectations are not the highest for Bafana Bafana, but I think we need to be a bit more patriotic and stand behind the boys. And who knows, uh, maybe they can even draw something from the rugby from Banyana Banyana and, and surprise us. You know, Domain, I tend to agree with you. I do think that we should be a bit more optimistic. We should be a more patriotic when it comes to Bafana Bafana. I don't think that it helps to be so so cynical. But having said that, uh, historically, I think that uh, on, on the basis of... of of recent performances, uh, you can understand why perhaps South African supporters are so cynical. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't think that the national team has given supporters a lot of reason to be optimistic. But also, also, if we're being honest, I think this is arguably the best team we've had in a while. Um, over the last two years, we've been fine-tuning this team. Hugo Gross has had his time to work. And also, the results have been going quite impressively. Um, yes, we haven't been at major tournaments, but I think we've suffered, what, one defeat in that two years, which is quite impressive. You know, it's, 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 you say, yes, we haven't been at a major tournament, but I say, yes, we've been building. And now I think it's also time for us to see what we've been building, how we've been building and whether we've been building for the right purpose. So I understand why um, we, we, we aren't writing home about Bafana just yet, but also, also, having seen what they've done in the last two years, we, you look at it and you say that, okay, this is the test to see what exactly has been done over these two years. Who else are you, are you tipping? Who, who are you watching for AFCON this year? Uh, obviously the big guns. We're looking at Senegal. We're looking at an Egypt. I think there's, there's, there's outside horses, even dark horses rather, in, in, in our group, Tunisia. I mean, they, they went to the World Cup. They ranked third in Africa. And then obviously Morocco. Um, you have to follow up uh, a quarterfinal or semifinal berth in the FIFA World Cup with a similar performance in the AFCON. So, I mean, if you look at the prize money at stake, there's a lot of money at stake. So you can imagine that the bigger guns would be, would be going for it all out. And there's also the prestige of saying that I have an AFCON medal added to, to my trophy cabinet. Wouldn't that be nice if if, uh, South Africa could add a a trophy to its cabinet? Domain Favour, Soccer Laduma writer, giving us a preview there of what we can expect from Bafana Bafana at AFCON, taking place in the Ivory Coast. We've been taking your predictions as well. Will we go beyond the quarterfinals? Could we even go to the semifinals or the finals? I know many of you are cynical, but perhaps you just never know. Maybe they can emulate Banyana Banyana. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. So throughout the show, we have been watching what's happening in The Hague in the Netherlands, South Africa making its case before the ICJ. Advocate Tim Becker Nguka Toibi finishing his argument, which is around specific intent when it comes to genocide. There was a coffee break for 10 minutes. And now Advocate Max Dupreer is addressing the court. Let's have a listen into that before the end of the show. Despite Israel's willful defiance of Palestinians' rights, South Africa turns to this court, seeking to protect the core rights of Palestinians in Gaza, to be protected from acts of genocide, attempted genocide, direct and public incitement to genocide, and complicity in and conspiracy to commit genocide. As the court knows, 
The Convention prohibits the destruction of a group or part of that group, including through killing, causing serious bodily and mental harm, and inflicting conditions of life calculated to bring about the group's physical destruction. Through these core rights, the Convention further protects the rights of its members to life and physical and mental integrity. Palestinians in Gaza, women, men, children, because of their membership in a group, are protected by the Convention, as is the group itself. And the core rights are violated and threatened by a remarkable set of facts outlined by my colleagues and set out in detail in South Africa's application with supporting evidence. In the speeches to this court today, South Africa has chosen, as you've heard, to avoid the showing of graphic videos and photos. So that's Advocate Max Duplessis, who is a senior counsel, also a barrister in the UK. He's the fourth lawyer to argue on behalf of South Africa. There'll be two more as well. And then Israel's response tomorrow.